Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Canner continues his message on Samuel the prophet. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's some highlights from yesterday's message. Here is Samuel in the service of God. He's diligently doing all the work that he's told to do in the tabernacle. He was religious. He was all about the service. Oh, he could quote to you the Torah. He was infused with the letter of the, of the, of the Torah, of the word of the Lord. But he didn't know the Lord. Now here's Tom Cantor as he finishes speaking on Samuel the prophet. The word of the Lord was not revealed to him. He didn't know the Lord. The word of the Lord was not revealed to him. A person can know the Bible backwards and forwards, still not know the Lord. A person can have all the answers and be like Samuel. There is something very important about that. When Paul gave his testimony... Remember about his great repentance. Paul gave his testimony on a couple of occasions that we have in the book of Acts. And when he gets to the part about the scales falling off his eyes, we all go, oh no, Paul, could you not tell that part? All right, but, but what Paul emphasized about his repentance and his great change, turn to it, Acts 22, 7. What it shows here in Acts 22, 7 through 8 is what was the issue with Paul that made him saved, that made him a child of God. The issue was one question and one answer. And he fell to the ground in verse 20, Acts 22, 7 through 8. And I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And that's not the question. And verse 8 is the question. And I answered, who art thou, Lord? Who are you? God. That's the question. Everything pivots on that question. Who is God? You see why the centurion had such great faith? As Scott said, because he knew he was standing in front of the God who said, let there be light. And his name was Jesus of Nazareth. That was the pivotal point. That was the great faith. This is what happened. He said, and then the answer was, I am Jesus of Nazareth. Who, who, who you were persecuting. His whole life was changed. It wasn't a prophecy that the man was born in Bethlehem. It wasn't this scripture or that scripture. It was when he came to the realize, he go, oh, God is Jesus of Nazareth. That's who God is. He's a, he is Jesus of Nazareth. Here's a good question. Good question to ask anyone, ourselves also. Is my relationship with God personal or religious? That's a question. Is it personal or religious? Do I just go through the motions of reading the Bible and praying and coming to church? Or am I really hearing from the person who I know very closely, the Lord Jesus Christ? That's a very good question. What does it mean that the word of the Lord was not yet revealed unto Samuel? What's that mean? Well, look back at the passage there. It's very interesting. Look at the passage again. Where were we? First Samuel 3, 4 through 10, on the, that part there. Because we're going to ask the question, we're asking the question, what does it mean that, that, he didn't, that the word of the Lord was not yet revealed to him? That he didn't know the Lord. Well, uh, what did Samuel think he was hearing? He thought he was hearing Eli. He, God was calling him. He thought he was hearing Eli. Samuel didn't recognize what? 
God's voice. He didn't recognize God's voice. Exactly. He didn't recognize God's voice because he didn't know God yet. He didn't know the Lord. You know, you may be in church today. Well, you are in church today. You may be in church. Of course you're in church today. <laughs> what a thing to say. <laughs> you're in church today. <laughs> and the teacher or the preacher is speaking, and you might be like Samuel. Do you ever think about that? You might be like Samuel. God could be speaking through the teacher or the preacher, and, and you could be thinking you're just hearing the voice of the preacher or the teacher only. That you're not, you're, 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 we need to get good at recognizing the voice of God. We need to get good at recognizing the voice of God. Think about how good Eli was to instruct Samuel. That's why I say this is really crowning point in Eli's life, crowning point in Samuel's life. Think about how good he was. He said to him, Samuel, little guy, he says, uh, go back there and say, speak, Lord Thy servant heareth. That was great advice. I mean, think of me like Eli. I want to be like Eli to you. That's why I got fat, so I could look like Eli to you. (laughs) Think of me like Eli. Think of you like Samuel. And like Eli said to Samuel, I'm saying to you, when I speak, I want you to say to God, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And whenever you come to church, whenever you take Eli's instruction, that's why it's a crowning time for Eli. Take Eli's instruction, say privately to God when you come into the the chapel here, if it's the worship service at 930, it's the teaching service at 10, if it's the preaching service at 11, whatever the service is, say before you come in, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. You come to your morning devotion time alone with God. Do the same thing. Never view that time as on a checklist that you just check it off and you're done. Don't do that. Tell God, you must hear from him this morning. Well, I must hear from you, Lord, this morning. I must. I must. Why? Turn to John chapter 6, verse 63. John 6, 63. There's something here that's very, very important not to miss. John 6, 63. Here, Rabbi Jesus is teaching us, our rabbi. And he says these words, it's the spirit that quickeneth, that makes alive. It's the spirit that quickeneth or makes alive. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. There's something that the Spirit of God does that makes all the difference in the world. I hope you're in the practice to ask God to fill you with His Spirit. And you remember how we said about the centurion that he was very specific in his prayer? It's very important when you pray that prayer to be filled with the Spirit that you are very specific, especially today, on who you want to be filled with. It's very important in the Bible to identify what the Spirit does and to say, fill me with the Spirit that quickens. Don't fill me with some other spirits that are... Anyway, we're not going to go there. Fill me with the Spirit that quickens because the Spirit will make the Word of God alive to me. How? Because it will be no longer just the Bible, but it will be the words 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. The words that I speak unto you. You see how personal that is? The words that I, first person, speak unto you, individual. They are spirit and they are life. Or you can look at it in other words, the words that I re-speak to you, the words that I illuminate to you, the words that I reveal to you, the words that I put fluorescent lights on to you, so to speak. They are, they, they are life. They are spirit and they are life. He takes the Bible and he makes it so that they're personal messages from God to you, to me. The words that I speak unto you. Let me give you an example. At work, we learned that our, our company electrician, his name is Pepe. Um, he had a sister named Julie. And Julie and her husband, Jose Luis, had been missionaries to Morocco, the Muslims of Morocco, for over 10 years. They're both from Guadalajara. And so Jose Luis had been invited to Morocco to introduce uh, an industry that is uh, famous in Mexico of making stoneware and special ceramics. And um, they were really there as missionaries. And so, but they had a, sm- they had a small church in their home. And, uh, but their, 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 um, their, their phone was tapped and their email was monitored. And so it became pretty well known to the government what that they were doing, converting Muslims. So a year ago, they were expelled from the country. Very dejected. They'd worked all. Julie's brilliant. She learned, well, so did he, but they learned Arabic, French, and really incorporated. They lived among the people. I'm going to tell you something that I've never heard from a missionary before. How much money did it take for you to live? She drops her head and says, a little too much, sir. I'm sorry, $600 a month. $600 a month? (laughs) She said, we wanted to live among the people as the people lived. This are, the, 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 anyway, they, they um, were kicked out of the country, and they returned to their home church, to Laurel Bible Chapel, where they were for a year. Very hard for them. One morning, they, 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 they asked God, please speak to us. Where are we going next? We've been expelled from Morocco. And in their family Bible reading devotions, they read a verse, and I want you to turn to it, Acts 1-4, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. So from that morning devotion time, the two of them understood that they were to stay in San Diego and just wait until they got next orders from the Lord, until the Lord spoke to them. Very hard uh, for them. They, Julie got a job babysitting. Jose Luis was doing handyman work. And, but their heart was really to reach they're missionaries at heart to reach the lost. And uh, so that, that, but that was the verse they had. Well, a year passed by and we met together last Thursday. We met with them and we told them that also a year ago, about the time they were expelled from Morocco, we bought a home, a mission home in uh, a Jewish neighborhood of Buenos Aires because we wanted to bring the, the gospel to the Jewish people. We had no idea how we were going to do that. We didn't have anybody to send down there or anything. We just thought, We'll just start, you know, God will fill the house somehow. But we, when we laid out the vision to them to reach the Jewish people, and we asked them to go down there, be, our mission, be the missionaries to the Jews in Buenos Aires, and then John at work jokingly said, take your time, take as much time as you need to tell us. Tomorrow morning we'll be fine. <laughs> he was joking, you know. Well, next morning they were reading 
together in their family Bible reading. I want you to turn to that verse they read, Judges 6.14. Judges 6.14, they read this verse. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel. From the hand of the Midianites have not I sent thee. Three words jumped out of the page at them, probably to you too. Go, after a year of waiting, save Israel. Number two, I sent you. That morning they told God they, they really needed to hear from him. And they read this verse and they heard those words, go save Israel, I'm sending you. One year of waiting for them and for us was over. And Julie was so overwhelmed that when her brother Pepe called, Jose Luis said, you can't speak to your sister, she's crying. She said, she's meeting with God. <laughs> you can imagine, you can imagine, right? Now, why was she so overwhelmed? Because of Genesis 1-3. And God said, God speaks. God, God is a speaking God. God is not a silent God. He's a speaking God. Because like Samuel, they learned to say to God, Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. God's word is a very special to us as believers. It's a letter. Have I told you the story before about the 12-year-old girl in Russia? 12-year-old girl, communist Russia, a time when, uh, during the full bloom of the atheist state of Russia and the responsibility of teachers to make their students atheists. That's the official position. So the, the teacher comes into the classroom with the Bible and starts to demean the Bible and to say, I've read this book and I'm your professor and there is no truth in this book. It is a book full of fairy tales and myths. And he was going on and on. And then he said, is there anybody in this classroom that still believes that the Bible is true? That the Bible is God's word, the Bible is true. And this 12-year-old girl, amongst all of her schoolmates, stands up. And he says, he says to himself, okay, this is a perfect opportunity to make her an example. She, come, she says, come up here. She come up there. And he starts up again. He says, now listen. Young girl, I tell you, as a professor and the expert here, I have read this book and there is no truth in it. It's all fairy tales and myths and a person's a fool to believe that. And he went on and on, this little girl standing up there. And then finally he says, now what do you got to say about that? And she looked up and she said, that's what you get for reading someone else's mail. (laughs) Isn't that good from the Spirit of God good? And that's what it is. This is mail to us. These are special, and God said, God speaks. Tom, you've been teaching about how Samuel was in the temple, but he did not know God. How does a person know if they are just being religious or if they really have friendship with God? You know, that's a very amazing passage there about Samuel, because this was one of the greatest prophets of God. Samuel was the one who called David to be king of Israel. And it's amazing here to think that this man, Samuel, even though he was very young, had a time in his life when he was very, very religious, just one problem. He didn't know God. What does that mean he didn't know God? He knew about God, 
What does it mean he didn't know about, he doesn't know, he didn't know God? He could tell you about the Bible. He could tell you about what God had done in the past. He could predict what God would do in the future. But that statement that he didn't know God says something far more than his knowledge or his intellectual knowledge about God. It's really talking about, as you said, his friendship with God. He didn't have friendship with God. And so how does a person know if they're just being religious or if they really have friendship with God? You know, it was the same. The answer to that is the same thing that was said at the start of this program series. Picture yourself waiting for your friend to arrive at the airport. You're standing outside the security zone. The doors open. Passengers come out. You go from eyes to eyes to eyes. Suddenly, you connect with the eyes of your friend. You both smile, and you say, I found my friend. The question is, if that was God, Would you both lock eyes and say, I found my friend? It's just that real. It's just that real. And Samuel, before this time, did not have that. So he could not say, God was my friend. Because it says the word of the Lord was not revealed to him yet, which means that the God or the Lord Jesus Christ in the Bible had not revealed himself. He didn't know that the person speaking as God Almighty, as Elohim, as Adonai, there in the Bible was the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's very, very important to establish friendship with God beyond religion, beyond the poise of just having a, 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 a religiosity or a churchianity or a, or a, or, or a, a good person uh, type of aura. It's very, very important to go beyond that and to say, I don't want that alone. I'm not satisfied with that. I must have friendship with God. And if you say that and really mean that, you know what? God's going to respond because it's a two-way street. You can't do it alone. It's for two people to be friends. Both have to want to be friends. And you can be sure as you read the Bible that you're going to see God wants to be friends with you, and you can count on that, and so the two come together. You and God come together, and it's so important. You know what it'll do? It'll give you strength because it says in Daniel eleven thirty two, and such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries, but here's the point. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. We need that strength from having friendship with God. We need the ability to do exploits for God from having friendship with God. How do we know if we have friendship with God or we're just religious? Just ask the question. Can you really say, God's a friend of mine? He's my best friend. Do you think God would say about you? Oh, yeah, he's a friend of mine. You know, it's just you know it. It's just like with anybody else. You know who's your friend, who's not your friend. If you said, if you said, well, I don't know if he's my friend. If you say, I don't know, then you don't have friendship with God. If you said about another person, well, I don't know. Well, then you don't have friendship with that person. It's just that simple. So be encouraged because God says there's no better time than the present to start the friendship. Let's start the friendship with God. And speaking of starting friendships, today we 
looked at the time when Paul started his friendship with God with one question, and that was to the Lord Jesus Christ of, Who art thou, Lord? Is this a pattern for how a person starts a friendship with God? It absolutely is. Because what Paul did was he confessed, I don't really know you. What do you mean? Paul was a, was a religious leader. He was a rabbi. He sat under the feet of one of the great rabbis, Gamaliel. How could he say this? I don't know who you are when he said, who art thou? But he did because it was a confession. He was being honest. So the start of the friendship with God is to start by saying, I'm not your, we don't have a friendship, but, I, I, and, but you say, I want a friendship with God. Uh, I need a friendship with God. I must have a friendship with God. So it's very, very important to start off by saying, I don't have friendship with God, but I must have friendship with God, point one. Point two, call him who he is, and which is what Paul did, Lord. He's not just the man Jesus. He's not just the prophet Jesus. He's not just the cool Jesus. This is the Lord God Almighty. This is the creator. This is the king of the universe beside whom there's no one else. It's him. And so when he said, who art thou, Lord, that was the beginning right there of the friendship with God. It was very, very interesting because the Lord Jesus Christ had a time in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 16, when he asked the people, who do men say that I am? That's what he said when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, well, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some say Elias or Elijah, and others Jeremiah and or one of the prophets. So you see what he was doing? He was kind of taking a survey. Who do men say that I am? Well, some say this, some say that. You could be this one, you could be that one. That's what they were saying. But then he brought it all bound to a point, crystallized it, and focused it down to one question. And you could just see him look at each person as he said in verse 16, he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And when he said that ye, it was like the spotlight went on each one of them. Eyes, his eyes looked at each one and said, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And it was time for each of them to give their individual confessions, their individual statements, who they believed the Lord Jesus Christ was, which would determine their destiny. If they believed that he was the Lord God Almighty, their only Savior, and they had made that move to become a friend of his by bowing the knee, confessing their sin to him, receiving him as their Lord and Savior, their destiny would be in the house of the Lord forever. It's a very important question as he turns to each one. Simon Peter answered, and he said, Thou art the Christ. The the son of the living God, he could have put it this way, thou art the Messiah, God, the son, or God, the son of the living God. See, that's what he could have said. That's what he did say. That's the answer. That's the right answer. Step one to becoming a friend of God, bow the knee, bow the knee before him and say, Lord, I don't know you but I must know you. Bow the knee. Confess the sin. Confess you're a sinner. Why? He's God. He's the one that that, that sin has offended. He's the one that has to be confessed to. Confess that you're a sinner. 
Take full responsibility. I did it. I sinned. Nobody's fault but mine. And then say, but I believe the record. The record in the Bible which says that you're a loving God. You're a merciful God. You're a kind God. You will receive me. You will save me from my sins. I believe that. I believe that cross was for me. I believe that that resurrection was for me. I believe, Lord, that I do what you want me to do now, which is to ask you to come into my heart and receive you as my Lord and Savior, that you will do it and that I will be saved and we will be friends forever. Thank you for joining us today. Tomorrow, Tom Cantor will continue our study about God's voice and Him speaking. Today's message and previous messages are available for listening and free to download from our websites at friendshipwithgod.org or israelrestoration.org. There you can learn more about Tom Cantor and study more about the friendship of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you can also contact us directly by phone and we can send you a copy of today's broadcast or other resources or materials that you would like. Just call us at one 800 That's 1-800-247-3051. And we'd like to hear more from you on what you like about Friendship with God. You can also find Israel Restoration Ministries on Facebook and receive a daily devotional from Tom Cantor. You can also contact Tom Cantor by sending an email to tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening, and join us again tomorrow at this same time 